The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Today we're going to venture into that often complicated area of relationships with attorneys. And I'm wondering if you, have you ever had a situation where you felt like you needed an interpreter to communicate with your attorney client or maybe experienced some kind of major miscommunication or misinterpretation? Maybe you need somebody to decipher the instructions. So we have today Anthony Zinani. Am I pronouncing that right, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi. Okay. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, Tony is an attorney, and he's going to help us with tips to facilitate this communication. Thanks for joining us today, Anthony. I'll call you Tony. Um, I, know, sure. I know you're a lawyer in California. Uh, correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, an attorney in California. My practice is... Uh, limited to appellate and post-conviction work at the moment, and I always do about 20% criminal trial work as well. Uh, it's good to stay in the, in the trial trenches, so to speak, um, if you're going to be doing post-conviction work, just so you stay attuned to things. But that's where I'm located, just outside of Los Angeles, and uh, that's, the, that's the essence of what I do at the moment. And uh, you, you had some really high-profile cases, uh, you were involved in Anna Nicole Smith's situation. Can you yeah. can you say what that was about? To to a, to a limited extent, I um, because the, mar- the the matter was a a paternity or parentage matter. So we say in California, mm-hmm. uh, there there's certain you know aspects of it that are confidential, but. It, you know, it was kind of funny because um, what happened was I, I happened to have an acquaintance uh, who was affiliated with the firm that was handling the parentage matter, and I, I was just having a run-of-the-mill day, and I get up, and I'm watching the <laughs> TV, and, you know, I work at home, and I'm standing there in jeans and a T-shirt, and, right. you know, all of, all of a sudden, you know, Anna Nicole has died, and there's this flurry on the news. And little did I know, 24 hours later, I'm going to wind up actually in chambers on the matter with, you know, Deborah Opery, and who was representing Larry Burkhead, and uh, uh, Ron Rail from Trope and Trope, and um, discussing, um, you know, and I, I think that this is a matter of public record by now, but discussing the release of the body. Uh, right. and, and I had... I had the opportunity to handle the DNA declarations and the experts with respect to that. 
Um, it was it was a, a nominal role, but uh, but fascinating, yeah. nevertheless. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that no, was a absolutely. Case. And so the judge didn't buy my argument about releasing the body for burial, and I think you know we all know what happened after that. And I had yeah. warned him, you know. But yeah. anyway. Wow, that's really interesting. And now I I also saw that you were involved in Roe v. McClellan. Um, what was your role in that, Tony? Well, well, what Roe what Ro v. McClellan was about, and, and this, this may ring a bell with some of your listeners, Jack McClellan was the self-proclaimed pedophile who came to Southern California, and he goes, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a 45-year-old man, and I'm, I'm a pedophile, and, you know, little girls turn me on. Uh, I go around, you know, I don't touch them. I, I don't have any contact. I've never done anything bad, but... I like to take pictures of them, put them up on my website, rate them, uh, R-A-T-E, uh, rate them, and, uh, you know, let the other like-minded individuals know what's available, where it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I hadn't had um, a lot of exposure to the case until I had a client come in my office, and my client, you know, was talking to me. My client was going to go out and shoot the guy. And, you know, I, I was, mm-hmm. you know, listening to this, and I figured, you know, this is, it's really unfair. And meanwhile, the case had been catching some attention, and law enforcement was being peppered with the questions about, uh, you know, what can be done, and, you know, well, he hasn't committed a crime, so therefore there's nothing we can do. Right. And... So I, you know, I figured, well, no, there is something we can do. And my, my daughter at the time, who was, who sued under the, the name Roe, Jane Roe, uh, she was within the age group that he expressed an interest in. And hmm. he was right in our community. So what, what happened was I figured, hey, you know what? As far as legal standing goes, uh, even if there's a one in 100,000 chance that he is going to have contact with my daughter, there's still a chance. Mm-hmm. And and so what I did was I filed a, uh, a petition for a restraining order, a common law restraining order and what we call a CLETS restraining order in California. Uh, and that's where it began. And, and the judge had granted it. Uh, it was on an ex parte basis where we had gone into court and, and the judge had granted it. And that's when the media just, you know, caught on to this whole thing. Sure, sure. Um, Cut me off if I'm getting too long-winded. No, no, Lawyers no, this is very interesting. <laughs> um, and it was kind of, you know, from an investigative standpoint, you know, at heart, I, I'm i an investigator. I, I really am. I mean, you know, I'm a lawyer. I've got to work as a lawyer, but I'm an investigator. And right. what happened was, is, is that as a result of that, that case, it still goes on to this day. To this day, I still hear about it. It was seven years ago. And... And what happened was, is, is that the restraining order had been issued, and then all of a sudden the free speech debate erupted. You know, mm-hmm. doesn't he have a free speech right to run around photographing three-year-olds and put them on the Internet so, you know, pedophiles can know where to go get a three-year-old, right? Yeah, and right. and the, that side of the debate had absolutely descended upon my household and my daughter, and for a year my kid was pursued by a group 
of pedophiles that were advocating her murder and her rape. Oh, my R-A-P-E. And, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Munich, it was kind of like the Mossad, all right? I just went and one by one found each of them and sent them an unequivocal message that this behavior is not okay. Um, so, you know, it still goes on to this day Amazing. to some extent. Yeah. Uh, talk about creative thinking and thinking outside the box. That was that's amazing. That's a really interesting concept. You, you know, and, and that's and that's kind of like where you know, and speaking of lawyers, you know, sort of segueing into the the subject matter here. I I have to I mean, painting with a very broad brush. There are some very very good lawyers out there, but mm-hmm. I am very concerned by a majority of what it is that I'm seeing. And, and it is almost it's a perfect storm between the general sense of entitlement in society, the lack of resources, the economy, um, and just an unwillingness to, to work, to be wise, to be courageous, cur- courageous, sorry, to be a leader, mm-hmm. and, and, and to stand up and do something. It, you know, it, it's, it's funny because it's kind of shocking, I think, for people to learn that when a lawyer is creative and thinks outside the box, you're kind of like the dork, okay? Yeah. And, it, you know, like back in high school when you were the kid who was the studious one, the nerd, you know, you're like the dork. And... And that's how a lot of other lawyers will treat you. You know, oh, why would you do that? You know, get, get on board. Come, right. come to the trough, you know. So, well, I see, you know. I see that as well. You know, uh, anytime there is an, an issue, say, with the courts or with the court-appointed programs, uh, nobody wants to take a stand because they think it's going to affect them. Right, right. Personally. And, and, and a, lot of, a lot of that goes on. Um, the... The problem is the fact that people get comfortable. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's almost like that, that scene in that Eddie Murphy movie, Trading Places, where he's in the, in, in the anteroom and, you know, is there a lawyer in here? And, you know, everyone mm-hmm. kind of like puts <laughs> up to their face, like, you know, don't bother me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So is, you know, is that why you became a lawyer? Why did you become a lawyer, Tony? Um, I became a lawyer, uh, what I describe it in terms of, um, at the behest of my parents, I, I call it the last act of child abuse, okay? <laughs> um, you know, we want you to become a lawyer. So I became a lawyer, yeah, the last act of child abuse. Yeah. Um, what, what happened was, is, is that I'd always, you know, thought about it, and I had those lofty ideas, and, you know, um, it, you, know you, you have a certain vision, um, I did become a lawyer because, you know, my parents thought it would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. And I had been a teacher for five years uh, prior to going to law school. And, and it's really sad. I mean, the educational system is such a wreck. I, I, you know, I love the kids. Um, I tried to do a good job teaching. It was very difficult uh, because you, you do a lot of parenting and, you know, that kind of thing as well. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. from the administrative standpoint, I just couldn't get anywhere. You know, yeah. I'd be doing these kind of bizarre side jobs as a teacher for, for years and years. And then, you know, one day I just said, forget it. Okay. All right, fine. I'll go to law school. Yeah. And, you know, by that time I was like 24, 25. 
Um, and so, so I had, I'd gone to law school, um, and I went to a local school. I went to University of Laverne, uh, which used to be the San Fernando Valley College of Law. And, mm-hmm. you know, nothing great, just a local little school. And, and I'd done well. I mean, uh, academically, I caught on to it. I was really on fire about it. And then what happened was um, I, I was... I was on law review. I'd been selected for that. And, um, and then I was sitting in a bar one night and we were banting around. It was some, some old friends, some childhood friends. Uh, and you know, it was this smoky kind of bar, the dark paneling and the dark board and the pool Uh table. And we're sitting there drinking beers. And, and what happens is, um, I, I looked at my buddy and, I just remembered over the years, I wasn't really close to him, but I asked him, I'm like, didn't you have a sister that died? You know, and just that question right there was just a sea change in terms of the next year, which was the last year of my law school. Uh, hold, you know, Tony, hold that thought because I want to hear more about this. We need to, okay. need to take a break. We'll have so much more to talk about back in a couple minutes. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The just-launched connections network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at 1-800-447-2112 to get started. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Attorney Tony Zanetti is discussing uh, today how to decode lawyer speak. But first of all, he's telling us a little bit about his background. And you were just describing, Tony, this smoke-filled bar, just like the movies, sitting around drinking beer, and you ask your friend about his sister. Tell us more about that. Yeah, um, what, what happened was, is that, you know, we were talking about, and, his, you know, he says to me, he says, well, my, you know, my sister, she had gone missing back in 1979, uh, and, and mind you, you know, this conversation occurred in 1996, so right. you, know, you do the math, and we're talking like 17 years pre- previous. Yeah, you know, she'd gone missing in 1979, and, uh, you know, three months after she had gone missing, her remains washed up uh, in a canyon. And, you know, it, you know, my mom never had resolution with it. You know, there, there was that whole conversation. And, you know, here I am, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm a third-year law student, so of course I know what I'm doing. And, you know, I just said to him, you know, I'll solve, I'll solve the case. Um, and, and what that led to was I got... I got on the phone with, with a crime analyst who, you know, I regard him as a friend to this day. Uh, it's been many years since. Um, and and uh, it, it got on the phone with him, and actually they had actually done some recent work on the case, and he was with L.A. County Sheriff. Um, one thing led to another, and they actually reopened the case. Mm. Um, and, and I figured, you know, all right, I've got law school to deal with, and there we are sitting around the table, and there's the mom, and there's my friend, and then there's um, Louis Danoff, who is a, now he's retired, uh, he is a sheriff homicide investigator, and he had worked the Night Stalker, he had worked the, uh, the Raiders cheerleader case, uh, her name slips my mind, Linda Sobeck, I think. Um, he had done, you know, Hillside Strangler, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's Louie, and, and we're all having this conversation. I figured, okay, I've done my, my good deed. I got the detective here. And then Louie looks at me, and he goes, and I want you to work this with me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I'm in my last year of law school, and Louie takes me under his wing. Um, and, and I rode around in a car with Louie for nine months. And we went, and we interviewed witnesses. I, Louie was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant as an investigator. He would, he had these, these quirks, and he was the fedora guy. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. add the fedora to the smoky bar, right? You know, right. And, and, and we went around, and um, what happened was is she was murdered. She was killed. Yeah. She was killed yeah. by uh, her boyfriend at the time. And, and, you know, and here's the thing for, you know, your private investigators who are listening to this or anyone who's got an interest. What happened was, you know, and in terms of working with families and things like that, what happened was, um, as I was, you know, we were going through and investigating, I mean, I'm really dug into this thing now. And the mom pulls out a box about like a month and a half into the investigation. She goes, oh, this, here's, here's what's left of her belongings. And it was some little 12 inch by 12 inch by 12 inch box. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, my goodness, and this was never tendered to, to, you know, the sheriff homicide unit. And I look into it, and, I, and there's a calendar, and there's these cards, and there's all this stuff about her running off with the boyfriend. And the whole case, the whole case was revealed by two pieces of paper. In that box, and, wow. In, in, in that box. 
And, and what happened, though, let's just go back to 1979, 1980, when the remains washed up. When the remains washed up, she was written off as an overdose in a dump. That's what they thought had happened. Mm. I mean, there was no murder book. There was no development of the case whatsoever. And, and you know what? You find the truth in an investigation in the simplest forms. And I'm, mm. and I'm looking at her calendar, and something said to me that the answer's right here. And right above October 6th, she went missing October 14th, right above October 6th, it said late. And then I had the autopsy report, and in the autopsy report it says, the presence of a corpus luteum has been found on one of the ovaries. So hmm. what does that put two and two together? What does that mean? That means she was pregnant. Does it mean she was pregnant, or does it mean she thought she was pregnant? Yeah, yeah. See. And, and that was kind of the epiphany with that investigation is because I, I labored over that. Was she pregnant? It doesn't matter if she was pregnant. All that mattered was what she thought. Right, and what yeah. happened was from that discovery out of that teeny tiny little box, that changed the entire dialogue with boyfriend. And Louie was standing there and he goes, she was murdered. This is a murder case. And, you know, the case, we, we came very, very close to getting boyfriend to cop to it. Um, you know, the rest of it is very political, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. to this day, uh, there has not been an arrest, but mm. at least, you know, there was that cathartic thing for the family anyway to for have that sure. further development. You know? Yeah, for sure. Not that she was a drug overdose and just abandoned. Yeah. I'm, right, exactly. It's huge yeah. for a family. Yeah. Wow. That's, well, I, <clears throat> I can see how you were just drawn into it um, as well. That's uh, what an exciting and uh, just phenomenal experience. It was, it was a rare experience. I normally, to be hanging around with a homicide detective, a seasoned homicide detective, uh, for that length of time, I mean, you'd have to be with the department for a long time or be a reserve or something. But, but Louis would do those things. You know, Louis was a creative guy, and he, and he really is, uh, you know, a, a brilliant mind when it comes to these, these things. Amazing. So let's talk a little bit about uh, how we, as private investigators, can communicate better with, with attorneys. And, you know, and I've got to say, um, attorneys, I think, uh, get a bad rap often because they are mm-hmm. being attacked on all sides. You know, they're, they're getting... Reamed out by the court, their clients right. are angry with them. They, right. if the opposing side is attacking them. Uh, the press sometimes is attacking them, and so they have nowhere to go. So the fact that that maybe they don't communicate uh, clearly, I, I can understand that. Well, there's like hearkening back to the perfect storm, you know, analogy. It really is what it is because. You know, I, what, I, what I say is the, the only thing keeping society in line is popular TV because people watch TV and they believe that's how it goes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to, just to digress, you know, with, with respect to the cops, people think that, you know, good-looking people work all night long in neon labs with cool sunglasses to solve crimes, you know. And that's not the way it works. Or that lawyers, you know, they walk into the courtroom and the trumpets blare. and you know, It's not. Right. It's, it's a... 
it's a tough and rough business where if you stand still long enough, someone's going to steal your eyes right out of your head. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so as a lawyer, you've got cash flow issues, you've got time management issues, you have what we call client control issues, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I mean, kind of like with a doctor. Hey, if you want to get better, you've got to take your medicine. You know, I don't want to take my medicine. Well, you've got to take your medicine. It's the same thing in practicing law. You know, you got to take your medicine. You got to not pick up the phone and talk to the opposing party and try to negotiate it behind everyone's back, or you know, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And and so we're always dealing with that triad of issues. You know, time, money, and control. And on top of it, what's happened is society at large has this crazy idea as to how the legal system works because of what they see in popular media. Right. And, you know, so, so lawyers are in this crush. Now, in terms of dealing with lawyers and speaking directly to your audience that are private investigators, um, you have to be very careful about who you get involved with. If, if you're dealing with a lawyer that cannot give you the time of day, all right, Walk away. You've, you've got to walk away because, because what's going to happen is, and, and it happens to me, I've been practicing almost 16 years. I know better, and I still get jammed because I do subcontracting work for attorneys. Okay, let me deal with your law in motion, whatever. And what happens is the attorney goes, oh, I'm just going to give them a big giant mess. You go figure it out. I don't have time to talk to you about it. And call me in two weeks. Mm-hmm. It, and, and it's like, wait a minute, you know, I can't deal with that. Well, your private investigators are going to deal with the same thing. That's right. That's a, you know, absolutely true. Yeah. And then, and then you're standing in line waiting to get paid after you've dedicated all your time. And, you know, look, it, it might be exciting to work on high-profile cases, and it might be exciting to work on murder cases and things like that. But you know what? At the end of the day, having done it enough, work is work, and you need to get mm-hmm. paid. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. Um, and I would say, I, I did a survey a couple of years ago of private investigators, and that was their one number one complaint. Absolutely number right. one complaint was not getting paid. And of course, you know, if you're, if you're working for a private client, working for a private attorney who has a private client, uh, you've got to get the money up front. Or you, you're lost. You have the, the money, the money has to be there. The money should be in the client trust fund. There has to be assurances. But, but let me address something that's even a little more fundamental, okay? It's, it's the whole concept of perceived value, all right? And, and, and I've learned this the hard way. I'll just kind of relate it from my experience. Uh, you know, as, as the lawyer, you see an injustice being done, and you want to run to the person's rescue, and so you go and you do it. Hey, you know what? Um, you know, I do this work, you know, pro bono or what have you. And next thing I know, I've got a giant headache on my hands. And now I've got money coming out of my pocket. And now I've got a client who has the same sense of entitlement as somebody who's paying 300 bucks an hour or 250 mm-hmm. an hour, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and what happens is you've sort of created a beast because by doing free work and by not maintaining your perceived value for your services you have just heightened the client's sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now, now you're really in deep. 
the good thing as a private investigator is the fact that you can, you know, you can walk away from it. All right. As a lawyer, you're stuck. You can't do I mean, it. You can't walk away. You can't. I had a I had a client the other day. I mean, I've represented the guy for the last five years. You know, hey Tony, I picked up a new case. Can you go to court, make the appearance on me? I got you covered, bro. Got you covered, bro. <laughs> right. I go. I make the general appearance. Sorry, man. I don't have any money, and I'm stuck on the case. I just wow. I just ate three thousand bucks right there. It's so easy, and I know better. I mean, imagine what your private investigators go through when yeah. they're dependent on that intermediary to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no question. I have a horror story, which I won't go into, that ex- exactly what happened with an attorney that I'd worked with for years. <laughs> it's it, the same kind of thing. It is, is, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that even clients who you've represented for years and years will do it to you? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, just because you're a lawyer doesn't mean you're a good business person. Same thing with a PI. Just because you're a private investigator doesn't mean you know how to run a business. Right, right. And and you have to. There's always that balance between running a professional practice and and having an eye for the business end of things. Because if you don't, your professional practice is going to go under. And it's it's a balancing act. It, you know, it's not like running uh, a, a, just a for profit business per se. It's just a very it's a very different animal. It is. Yeah, yeah. We need to take another break, Tony. Uh, that's the voice of Tony Fenanti. Stay tuned. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The Just Launch Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at one 800 447 2112 to get started. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Uh, California attorney who's talking to us about working with attorneys and relationships with attorneys. Um, Tony, um, we were just talking about getting paid. That's probably in everybody's mind might be the first thing since we have to put food on our table. But um, you also talk about being very cautious about contact with the client the attorney is representing. Right. That That is... Um that competes in terms of importance with the getting paid theme. And what, what you want to do as, as, as a private investigator, you know, so now let's just kind of run through the scenario. You've been contacted by an attorney. The attorney requests that you do certain work on a case. You know, obviously the first thing you want to do is define the parameters of what you're being employed for. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you don't wind up on some wild goose chase, of course. But, What's really critically important is if the attorney, and the attorney should know better, the attorney shouldn't say, okay, I'm going to cut you loose on my client, go talk to my client, get a statement, or, you know, whatever the case may be. I mean, clearly, you know, the attorney should be talking to the client, and if you're working under the attorney, you know, it's privileged, of course, but don't have communication with the attorney's client. Don't do that. And, and if you do do that, have the attorney present, and, and I'm going to tell you why. Clients when they are going through a difficult time, whatever the case may be, they're going to pick everybody's brain about, is my attorney doing the right job? Is he doing a good job? Well, I talked to this other attorney, and the other attorney said, blah, 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 and what do you think about that? And next thing you know, you know, you're empathic, and you're, you know, want to help people just by virtue of what you do. Um, and next thing you know, you're back into a corner. And uh, you know, how do I get here? Now I get the client plucking my brain and stuff, and then, and then the client goes back to the attorney and says, well, do you know what P.I. said? Here's what P.I. said about what you're doing or what the other guy's doing, and next thing you've got a mess on your hands. Stay away from the client. Okay. You know what, though, Tony? I have to tell you that uh, my experience, that isn't practical. I, I, I mean, right. I've been doing this personally for 30 years, Um I probably have as much contact with the clients as the attorneys do. And often mm-hmm. private investigators are put in the position of being kind of being the liaison. Um, right. And at least in criminal, I should say in criminal defense work, in criminal defense work. So. <laughs> um, I, it, it, and that's, but, but you know what, but that's why I put the warning out there yeah, because, yeah. you know, while I say stay away from the client, you know, maybe what I'm saying is take as much in terms of safeguards as you can exactly. with respect to any communication with the client. So, you know, because the attorney is going to send you on errands. Hey, go find out, blah, blah, blah. You've got to go talk to the client. Um, and then, you know, you're right in that world. The, the, problem, the problem is... And you can evaluate this based upon the attorney's relationship with the client, which is a fair question when you're being hired. You know, hey, you want to hire me? How are things going with the client? What's our client about? What are they facing? 
What have, what's, what's their rap? What have they done in the past? Okay. And, and so you can qualify it. But my thing is, you really got to take safeguards. I mean, if, if you can get the client communications in writing via email or in some way where you don't get caught in some pickle between the client and the attorney, um, do it. Take, take those precautions. That's, that's really the essence of my message. But I'm curious to hear about your experience, though. <laughs> For another time. Um, so uh, I think the thing, though, that is really critical is you never get sucked into criticizing the attorney, no yes. matter what you think about the attorney right. to the client. You you can't you can't possibly do that. Your job you work for the attorney. Your job is to support the attorney, however way you can, and and don't buy into being empathetic with with the person who's in custody in a criminal case, um, or in a civil case who has some kind of issue that's going on that they need a lawyer. Right. I have I have a rule in my office, you know, when I, when I've had employees working for me and stuff, and and the one the one rule that will send an employee packing is don't ever contradict me in front of the client Absolutely. with what I'm telling the client, yeah. and be, because there's a reason for why I'm telling the client something, and you know now. The people out there who don't like attorneys are probably rolling their eyes going, you know, oh, yeah, that's because you're trying to swindle the client. You know, no, it's, you know, the, the reason is, is because I know where the client control factor is headed. And the last thing I need is some law clerk coming in and going, but, but, I, but I read the, the, the torts textbook and this is what it said and said, yeah. get out of here. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's, that's definitely an important lesson. Well, and the and the private investigator or the law clerk, whoever is assisting you, doesn't have the the global viewpoint of the case that right. during has. So that's critical. And and plus, it's it's not a private investigator's job to make um, suggestions to the client. To the attorney is one thing, but not in front of the client. Right. Exactly. But you know, there's another thing I want to mention. You'll get a kick out of this. Okay. There's another thing that I, I want to mention, um, just to mention it. When you're a private investigator and you have been hired by someone who purports to be an attorney, make sure that they're really an attorney. Okay. Good I, point. I was just involved in a case where how I'm gonna I'm gonna be really careful about how I parse this. Well, I'll tell you, what happened was is this. I, I had a client who went off the reservation, so to speak. This was a civil appellate case. It, this should have been a really clean deal. And I, he was one of four uh, clients that I was involved in representing. And all of a sudden, he had some crazy ideas about his girlfriend took off because of me. And I mean, this just went off the hook nuts. And, and so what's happened is this client, you ever seen Kate Fear with Robert De Niro? You know, yes. mm-hmm. you know, counselor, right? Okay. I'm living Cape Fear. Okay. With this particular client now, it's been two and a half years. And what happens is, is that I wind up in court. The guy sues me 
and I wind up in court, and I'm met by this individual. Hi, I'm Michelle Miller. Um, I'm representing so-and-so. And she proceeds to go on about this, and then, she, you know, I'm going to be representing him today in the hearing, and then she goes, and she presents herself in court. She's standing right there in court in front of the judge and making the court appearance and the whole bit. Michelle Miller was not a lawyer. Really? This was an... In- this was an individual, yeah, this is shock and awe, right? This was an individual who has been a recidivist since 1988, in and out of prison on falsification of evidence, uh, assuming people's identities, identity theft, elder abuse, you know, you name it, it goes on and on for all these years. And then what she did was the client who was involved in doing this knew she wasn't an attorney. And then she, posing as the attorney, went to a private investigator, and the private investigator runs my entire background, okay, my social, my license, you know, all all the the certified stuff or what have you, hands it over to Miss Fake Attorney, who hands it right over to Mr. Clients. Wow. So this is, yeah, and welcome to my life, right? I mean, this is a very... astonishing. that's really astonishing. Oh, it, it, it is astonishing. And then, and then what happened was, then when client turned on Miss Fake Attorney, Miss Fake Attorney came crawling to me saying, help. And then she <laughs> revealed how private investigator had dug up all the stuff, and she even sent me the invoice. Uh, client had private investigator follow me around for six days. This is, this is a civil appellate case. This, I mean, this is, this is off the hook crazy. Here I've got somebody following me around for six days, and then you think about the people I deal with, these crazy pedophiles, and then, you know, I, I mentioned in my bio I represented one of the big four motorcycle clubs, uh-huh. okay? I don't know, I catch somebody following me around, what do you think's going to happen? And, right. and, and he was shocked, and, and what happens is, is that he wound up getting duped, and I told him, I said, I'm going I'm to talk to the department, and he said, it's my license, it's my license, Right. So, uh, you know, you got to be careful who you're, who you're dealing with. Well, you're bringing up a, a really good point, Tony, that private investigators, probably more importantly even than attorneys, have to know who their clients are. Yes, yes. Because, it, what, because we are in the pos- position of holding personal identifying information often that should not be handed over. Well, and, and this is, you know, this is private investigator school 101, which is, you know, why, why do you want to know where your ex-girlfriend went, you know? Yeah, and then next right. thing you know, you have, as we've seen, these horrible situations unfold. Exactly. And, so, and the general, uh, actually, the general um, recommendation, not a law, any, uh, some may, someday it may be, but the general recommendation is you never give out the information to the other party. You tell the client that you will give them your information, the client's information, they want to contact you, they will. Otherwise, mm-hmm. that's it. Right. You have, to, you have to take those procedural safeguards. And, mm-hmm. and you know, in, in this particular case, it was interesting because you had somebody posing as an attorney and the private investigator had no reason, you know, to believe otherwise. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a good idea when you get someone that says, hey, I'm an attorney and I'd like to do blah, 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 and I need all this information, you know, there's, there's state bar websites out there. Go yeah. and, you know, okay, well, what's your license? What's your name? Da, da, da. Because you know what? At the end of the day, 
you're going to be the one holding the bag when somebody winds up, you know, getting hurt or whatever the case may be. You're in a, a, a position of great responsibility. Yes, it's so easy to check. It's just so yeah. easy to check. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you, Tony, we've got to take another break. Can you believe it? We'll be right back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Super. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The just-launched Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at 1-800-447-2112 to get started. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Attorney Anthony Nancy and I are sharing stories, actually, about working with attorneys. And, uh, Tony, I just want to... Uh, read here something that you wrote and you said I thought it was just really uh, succinct you say as an attorney I've hired many private investigators by far the best that I have hired are those with established and consistent contact information those who display professionalism in appearance and product and those who do not treat their investigation business as a post-retirement hobby I thought those things were uh, very good and i I'd like you to talk about them a little bit. Sure. You know, your, your report as a private investigator um, is, is really, I think, in large part your calling card. 
uh, you know, if I, if I as the attorney, if I, if I give you my business card or if you have access to a pleading and, you know, you can't spell my name correctly in your report, then I begin to wonder, what else aren't you seeing? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's basic things like that. Um, tune up your reports. I mean, you can, you can uh, create templates and things like that, which make it easy. And a lot of guys, especially guys coming out of law enforcement and stuff, you, you've written reports, you know how it goes, but everyone kind of hates the writing. That right there is going to really affect your appearance in terms of the product that you deliver. Um, the other thing is, what I find, is, you know, and, and this is nothing against law enforcement, in any way, shape, or form. But I, but I think, because I've dealt with a lot of law enforcement, I've represented uh, law enforcement and, and, of course, worked with law enforcement in the criminal realm. But what happens is, uh, you know, okay, well, you know, I'm retired, I pulled the pin, now I want to do something, I'm going to go set up a private investigation uh, operation, and I want to go out and do good and, and help people. Okay, well, that's wonderful. But if you have the appearance that it's a hobby, if it's a post-retirement hobby, uh, then, you know, you're looking for trouble. You're not going to be helping people because unless you have established your business and you're consistent and you can be found and you have the same phone number two years from now, all right, um, if you're not doing those things, then you're compromising your ability to help. And, and let me give you a quick war story here. I had two guys that used to work um, court services, so they were essentially bailiffs. And, you know, but they were retired uh, from the department, and they looked good, and they sounded good, and the whole bit, we're ex-law enforcement, we know what we're doing. And I had, uh, I was involved in in a really major personal injury case where the plaintiff was injured by a guy who picked up two murders when he was a juvenile. So... These are, in California, what we call 707B offenses, and, you know, it's murder. Uh, it, it tends to stay with you, even though you're a juvenile. And we needed to go find this guy. And I sent these two private investigators to go, and there was a series of addresses. And they went, and, you know, well, we didn't have any luck. And, okay, we'll go back. And, you know, well, we didn't have any luck. And we're talking about, like, a major injury. I mean, the plaintiff had been beaten up by this individual while this individual was working as a bouncer for a bar. So mm-hmm. the convicted double murderer is working as a bouncer for the bar, and he, you know, pummels the, the, the plaintiff. <laughs> okay. So, you know, it was, it was an example of just inconsistent, fly-by-night, we sort of do this when we want to do this kind of stuff. And I had to drop what I was doing because we had to make service on the complaint because there was a deadline. It had to happen. So I had to stop what I was doing as the lawyer. I went out. I talked to the postmaster about forwarding the mail. I went from address to address to address. And I finally found the guy. And the next thing, you know, I dropped off my card here. And then the guy calls me. And he was so angry. I thought he was going to kill me right through the phone. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the double murderer is going to, you know, it's going to kill me through the phone. And, you know, and I went back to the private investigators who I hired, who did, by the way, send me a bill even though they totally failed in doing anything. And I just gave it to them. I was just livid. I was absolutely livid because they were supposed to be in control. But no, it was a hobby. They did it kind of when they wanted, but they led me to believe that they were the real deal. And, and that was a negative experience. Right. So they weren't really doing what, you, what they told you they were doing? 
Well, I mean, they were licensed as PIs, but they, they did a half-baked job is what it yeah. was. Yeah. And, you know, and it was the attitude of like, you know, you're kind of lucky to talk to us because of who we are. We're sort of doing you a favor. Sorry, you're, you're on my payroll. I'm paying you. So, so don't carry that attitude and don't do a half-baked job because you think that you're someone who you're really not. I mean, this is a different animal. This is not law enforcement, okay? It's not answering coded calls or being a bailiff or, or even, you know, uh, mm-hmm. stamping out, you know, investigations for 484s, you know, robberies and, you know, domestic violence and what have you. This is a totally different animal. And, and if you're former law enforcement, you're going to find out if you're serious about being a private investigator, that the whole aspects of, you know, there is no guaranteed check. You've got to hustle. You've got to be accountable. You've got to be literate. You have to have a pristine product. You have to have the questions anticipated and answered. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, I'm getting excited here, but, but yeah. <laughs> I love it. No, it's true. And, I, and you know, the comment you made about the, uh, the written report being your calling card, when I train investigators on writing reports, Tony, I tell them that their report may end up in front of the uh, the uh, United States Supreme Court someday. It could. It could. You never know. It may right. be you never. your declaration or something that goes all the way up, and it better look good. Right. Because you're representing all of us. <laughs> Absolutely true. And, you know, I'm a writer by, by nature. It really is what I do as an appellate and post-conviction attorney. But I can understand loathing, you know, writing. I get it. Um, you got to do it, just like anything else. Yeah, yeah. It. All of what you said is true, and and you know, it, and it doesn't just apply to former law enforcement. Although, um, probably, I would say seven to eighty percent of private investigators are probably former law enforcement. It applies to anybody that gets into this work. It's, I always say that it's it's fairly easy to find a good somebody that's a good investigator, and it's fairly easy to find somebody that's a that writes well. It's real hard to find somebody that can do both. You know, professionally, whether you're a lawyer or a private investigator, you've got to get up every morning and take a good, cold look in the mirror. And you've got to say, how can I do the job better today, better than I did it yesterday? You're messing with people's lives. And it's yeah. really easy to forget that. You know, it's really easy to become jaded. Don't yeah. become jaded. If, if you're jaded and you're burned out, Go find something else to do, all right? And, and we all go through it. Uh, going through, there's almost like a cycle. You know, you almost go like through sort of a burnout cycle, and you need to be refreshed and renewed right. and, and give yourself little rewards and a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, that's just human nature. You're, you're going to deal with, with hard stuff, but you've got to yeah. take that look in the mirror every day to, to really think about it. Be courageous, to be clever, to be wise, and draw upon your experiences. And, Tony, we're at the end of our hour, and that's a perfect way to end our show. Thank you so much for your insight and for joining the show today. Uh, Very instructive. Uh, Of course, thanks to our loyal sponsor, PI Magazine, which is how I met Tony by reading his article. If you're uh, interested in advertising on PIs Declassified, uh, send me an email at francie at PISDeclassified.com. And tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators and from attorneys like Tony. 
It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 